Welcome to episode number 39 of Taking You to the Top. Today's guest is the founder of Cruasis. In-depth data and analytics is a revolution in the field of information technology. Look at the amount of data we are exposed to on a second, minute and hourly basis. Cruasis is moving from digital to data transformation which involves the use of analytics techniques like machine learning, data mining, natural language processing, and statistics to create insights to outperform the competition. Join Rami in welcoming her to the show. If you have any questions for our guest today, please leave them in the comments section below. Also, if you'd like to get more data on any of our guests, please download the Taking You to the Top app from our website. That being said, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. In this podcast, Rami spends time speaking with founders and CEOs from across the globe and asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they built and launched their businesses. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Are you ready to take it to the top? Okay, Sharon, welcome to episode number 39 of Taking You to the Top. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, always a pleasure to talk about um, my business and my journey as an entrepreneur. Thank you very much. So if you could get us started uh, by introducing yourself and maybe take us back from the beginning, tell us where you're from, where, where your journey started, and how that journey led you to founding your company. Sure. Uh, the first thing to note is that I'm Canadian, so you'll probably hear a Canadian accent somewhere right. um, an hour about. So I, I'm from Ottawa, Canada. Um, my family moved to Toronto, and it was tech um, that my dad and my uncles were in. And I was around technology a lot growing up, so I did have a computer at a young age, and right. I had a very entrepreneurial family as well. Um, with regard to you know, my background is a traditional corporate background. So I went through the traditional consumer packaged goods from PepsiCo to Kraft Foods to GlaxoSmithKline. And then I was moved around from Canada to the US. And I still had traditional corporate background because I did a master's in business in Canada. And then I did come to the US and part of my uh, corporate training was to go to Harvard Business School and do the general management program. Um, right. During that program, I really understood something about what I wanted to do and where I was in my leadership journey, which was I really wanted to found something and start something that would solve business problems that I noticed in consumer packaged goods. So I decided to quit my corporate job after ge the general management program and um, found a company that could be a solution provider to um, consumer packaged goods in the data science space. And okay. It, it was the first foray for me, but um, just as you can imagine, Rami, I started in a very different spot in data and analytics, and I've pivoted over the last two years to where I am now. Right, absolutely. And actually, before, before we move on to what your company does more specifically, that switch between corporate to founding your company, was it as smooth as you thought it would be? Did it happen by chance or did you plan it? Yeah, I knew, and that's a great question. Nothing is as smooth as you want it to be ever. Sure. I was 
purchasing a house at the time in Brooklyn. So I was in the midst of leaving corporate knowing that the best time to get a mortgage, as you know, is if you have a, a job. And right. um, also on that entrepreneurial journey, you probably shouldn't buy real estate when you're starting your entrepreneurial <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, again, sure. rookie mistake, but you know, it was a smart move because I didn't want to dump all my money into my business. So right. I say that it was a really tough transition, um, only because I had planned it for a few years, but you don't plan for the number of pivots that you have to make and how hard it is when you're working in corporate for, you know, almost 20 years, how hard it is to sell and, and now you're selling yourself. And sure. it's a very, very different space. So I'd say, you know, advice for others would be to really get a few solid mentors in the startup space or who are tenured entrepreneurs um, mm -hmm. to help you kind of transition. And I was still new using all the network that I had. But as you can imagine, there, you're quitting, you're working a corporate job. You don't have a lot of bandwidth for, um, for finding mentors. You're also pitching your business, which I was at the time on the side and working okay. on it you have limited hours in the day and were you sort of uh from a from the economic side of it were you using your salary to pay for the business or how how did you handle the finances back then um so good news is i, I managed a lot of p l's in my career so okay. uh, my goal was to bootstrap and, and do that as long as I could. I had a few friends who've done multiple routes. The ones that bootstrapped felt a lot more confident and in control of their business. And so even though I was looking at investing um, more money into my business and then actually looking at investors, I knew that the best thing for me to do was just use the funds that I had and the savings that I had and also just be as resilient and resourceful as I could by sure. limiting the amount of money that I was pouring into the business. So being really smart and savvy on building out tools. And I can tell you right now, when I built my first tool, it's nothing like what I have right now. So the business has pivoted a complete 180 from where I was, even though it was always founded in analytics and data. Okay, well, I guess th this is a great uh, point for you to tell us more about your company, what you provide more specifically and who your clients are. Sure, so first thing I like to ground us in is just what are the opportunities? And what I really noticed was there are a lot of agencies, but not a lot that focused on data science. Right. So um, my whole insight was how could I create a company that could do a one-off, a monthly or a full year retainer leveraging data scientists and both locally, so in North America, but then globally, because we know there's a lot of great talent globally as well. Sure. And yeah. the gap that I saw in sort of top data challenges were, it was really difficult to recruit and retain big data talent. They lacked sometimes the strategic lens because they didn't have the experience that somebody in 20 years in a profession would have. So there's this need for more trained professionals, um, okay. sort of bridging the gap between executives and predictive data. So there's all these folks in these CEO roles and VP roles, but they weren't used to using the new tools that were grounded in Airbnb and Facebook and all these companies that were built on data and analytics. Right. Um, and, and then data was just growing at such enormous speed that how could you deal with the amount of data? And then how could you even create insights in a timely manner because everybody wants stuff real time. 
Right. So, um, and this led also to, I think one of the biggest, if you Google trend um, sort of securing or data security or securing big data, that's the biggest area right now of growth. And I think if anyone's in that space right now, they're, they're significantly benefiting. So my whole thing was what's the next big trend? And it was around data science, data visualization and taking and mining that data into insights. So okay. that's how we, we went from this concept of, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was around digital transformation. Now I believe it's around data transformation. And it was all around how can we solve big companies issues with regard to data mining and, you know, the aggregation, visualization, compilation and insights. And how do you provide these dashboards and solutions and tools in a timely manner? So, and based on my CPG background, there's a lot of data security governance that people expect. And I can bring that because I've worked in those areas. So, you know, essentially what we're trying to do is just increase everyone's data competency. And our vision for the company is to do more with data and solve these complicated problems by simplifying how data can be used. Okay. Well, one question that comes to mind is, are you mining the data on behalf of your customer or are they providing you with data that they're already generating and you create the analysis and dashboards on their behalf or both? Yeah, so I actually look at it through uh, data maturity and these five levels. So I try to understand where the companies are at before I decide, are we looking at their data? Are we looking at the data I can mine and aggregate? or we do a combination. So the five stages are infancy, conceptual, um, number three is defined, integrated, and then transformed. And I look okay. at it at the crawl, walk, run. And based on where a company is, that's where I introduce, if we're just starting with their data, are we combining and aggregating, or are we doing something completely different, which is starting to create a new database for them? So it depends, um, and I, I know everyone loves that answer, right? So it depends on where the customer is on their journey, on their data journey, and okay. we work with them. And the, the sweet spot that I've found, um, surprisingly, is actually Fortune 1000 companies. So top tier consumer packaged goods companies that actually are potentially resource stricken, or they know they have a ton of data and haven't spent time mining it or they have some hypotheses that they'd like to dig into for growth opportunities. And so they're turning to us to be able to solve those. Uh, okay, and is, is it, as you mentioned, just by retainer or do you have other revenue models that customers can choose from? Yeah, so another um, thing that we do is we outsource our data scientists. So obviously the first, I'll, I'll explain them all so that you kind of understand. So sure. the one-off is, they want to understand some data that they have and potentially introduce other open source data because not everybody's familiar with what is available, what's accessible, um, you know, social media channels, how can you take that and mine it? Um, things like natural language processing where you can take a look at loyalty card data from a, a customer or a client and then be able to overlay that with social media data becomes a really powerful tool. And then being able to actually talk about it real time makes people excited. So okay. this one-off then turns into a, a monthly dashboard, which is where it becomes a monthly subscription or a monthly, you could call retainer. Um, also what happens is companies aren't necessarily 
sure if they need a data scientist or that they should just keep to their analysts that they have on their team. And they'll oftentimes ask for a data scientist from our team because they know now the industry, they know their business well, they'll want one of our Cruasis data scientists to sit on their team and actually mine data for them. Okay, um, another successful part of our business is we have our data scientists from Cruasis actually sit on a team for three to four months as a contract and work on data science solutions for a big project that's being worked on. As you can imagine, there were a lot of um, layoffs and just you know overall changes in the industry through COVID. And so there's a lot of need for outsourcing that sort of capability so you don't have to hold the overhead in a company. And sure. so we solve for that as well. Got it, okay. I mean, yeah, very clear. I love the business model, it's incredible. Um, so when, when was the company founded? Yeah, so the company was founded in 2018. Uh, we started in, um, no, and no surprise here that we pivoted, but we started in data analytics in the alcohol industry, actually. And we founded a company called Brewasis First, which is right. still around and we still use that. We pivoted last year to Cruasis. And, um, and fortunately, we did it at a great time because then obviously, Obviously, the pandemic hit and, you know, you're working and operating in a different area. But sure. when you already have a network with clients in Fortune, you know, 500 companies, it's a lot easier to do a Zoom meeting or reach out through LinkedIn versus right. if, I, if I had to go cold on those. And so I, I really leveraged my network um, to be okay. able to get clients. Great. And uh, what does uh, team size look like today? Sure. So um, Croasis, when I started it, we've ebbed and flow with um, teams. So we, we, one of the fundamental things for our model, we work with schools across the U.S. and Canada, and we, we bring them in from an internship perspective. And okay. that gives them an opportunity to work on really big clients. Um, obviously, I promote women in STEM, and I'm really excited that almost half my team is, is actually are females. And okay. so they get the chance to work as part of a scrum team. And right. so currently our team has about 20 people on it and they start off with four to six people on a scrum team. They learn from the more senior data scientists and then they get a chance to actually run their own scrum team and they graduate through this internship with us to then work on really big clients. So um, we created this, what I would have probably seen in a typical uh, Fortune 100 consumer packaged goods company internship program. And right. then it gives me the ability to see talent and understand their capabilities. Um, we get to see them on various stages of data science from you know, using Python to Jupyter Notebooks to you know, actually working as part of a team. And so I get a really holistic view of how these data sure. scientists operate and they get to mentor and coach each other and work in teams. So it's um it's really fun um and i i really do promote a very um collaborative diverse you know very solution focused team and you know they're they're they know to bring ideas to me they know that we're about how do we solve for our clients problems and how do we come up with innovative solutions and so it's ex i think it's exciting for them when they're masters of data science students coming out and they're working on a big client um, you know, to think of a top five financial company or a top five beverage company, um, they, right. that's what gets them excited to work with us. And if you don't mind, when, so they come in as interns 
in the beginning? Yeah, they do. Um, so I prefer to do that and I've done it for the last two years. I used to work with um, the internship programs here in New York City and then I've expanded to all the data science um, schools, so across the U.S. and Canada. So okay. schools like Ryerson, um, University of Western is a, a partnership with us, and they're located in London, Ontario. We work with their data science team. Um, Stevens um, Tech is another school here in Hoboken, New Jersey. And okay. we've been doing this for the past few years, and I keep a really good relationship with all my data scientists because you know I like to, to know what they're up to if they graduate on from our program and they're, you know, some have gone on to work at Deloitte um, and then other data science companies, if there hasn't been a lot of work on our end and then others have come back and, you know, work on project based as we go. So a lot of stuff is, has ebbed and flowed, especially given the certain the current circumstances. Okay. I mean, what, what I'm trying to understand is when they go through the initial scrum team, then they're, they become head of a scrum. Is there another level after that? Do they, I mean, is there a chance that they can become full-time? Yeah, so they move okay. from, as soon as you become part of, uh, after you've done your leadership position, you're moved to a, um, a position on a team where you're working directly with the client and then I don't have to, um, you're, you're working with a consultant and not me. I, I actually do oversee a lot of our team but we're getting to a model where th these data scientists are brilliant and they are able to quickly learn um, how to lead and manage the client and also the data scientists from the standpoint of the more junior folks. And so they're, they're right to, hey, here's a project, go run it. Right, okay, clear. Well, uh, Sharon, if you don't mind, can we just quickly move into the economics of the company so we can understand uh, how it was originally set up? Was it bootstrapped or did you raise capital? Yeah, it's all been bootstrapped. So I've um, been funding the company since the beginning. Um, I still will consider raising and I've talked about it, but at this point in time, I'm actually working on the core culture of the company, um, the products that we're developing. So the core products that we want to do as our subscription and then the client base that we have. Um, before okay. I actually go out and raise, but every entrepreneur will say they're always raising. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, is it possible for you to give us a range or an idea to set up a company that deals with big data? I mean, a range. How much did you have to invest to get it off the ground? Well, I'd say that, and I heard this from many entrepreneurs, that you usually need about 100 to 200,000 just to start if you're not building out product and if you have a tech person that can build out stuff for you. So right. I think that that gives you runway for wherever you're living. I mean, I live in one of the most expensive cities in New York. Um, yeah. and, and sorry, in the world, I live in New York. You know, yeah. I entrepreneurs can get away with now living anywhere and saving on that expense. Um, okay. The other thing too is, is I have credibility behind the company and the name. We have a lot of people that refer each other and to come and work with us. So sure. I've been fortunate that way. And I, I love my team. So um, they know that it's your, you know, I look, I interview everyone and I make sure that they'll be part of the culture in a way that's going to contribute 
to the company culture, but also that we contribute to them. And they get a lot of, um, one of the things we work with is a company called Predictive Index. And uh -huh. it is similar to, you know, what you would have seen in the past with DISC and um, the other career kind of understanding your personality assessment tools. And everybody goes through that and has the opportunity to do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Okay. So there's, there are things that we offer that other um, startups probably can't right at the beginning because okay. they're, they're bootstrapping and they're not thinking about that. But because of my background, I thought these are things that I think data scientists would find attractive and keep them on as long as I can and then move sure. them to a project. I mean, it's many stages to your point to get from start to a paid project, but I, it helps me understand um, their capabilities and it gives them training that they need because most data scientists have not worked on a lot of projects for clients coming right out of school. Okay, got it. And this initial uh, investment, what would you say was the key area of your business that you spent it on? Was it on development at the beginning or any other area? Yeah, I think the things that I spent, spent it on were um, obviously the, the legal aspects, so trademarking, branding, the typical marketing elements. We did spend money on advertising as we were promoting the brand just to test and learn and do some A-B testing. Uh, okay. The creation of the team. So in the earlier stages, you know, tools and things that we needed for the team. So if you think about it, you need to have just like traditional tools, CRM tools to help everyone work more efficiently. Sure. Um, and then we, we built out product at the beginning. So there was a large amount of money that went into that. That was a sunk cost because I pivoted. Um, right. So there's a, yeah, there are a few areas depending on what you're building out. So you do have to have one product or a few product ideas in, in concept stage to be able to show clients. Right. Um, otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to visualize what you're really trying to do. And it's where I've pivoted a lot since I've started. I've learned not to build out fully until <laughs> you have something that clients really want. Exactly. Okay. Um, this next section is just to help out entrepreneurs who are just starting their journey or they have an idea but they're struggling with the key question which is how do you get your first clients how, how did you go about it i mean okay other than your network let's say yeah i think the thing about clients and um leads is you really need to have folks that trust your work your capabilities and that you trust that they will introduce you to strong um, leads. And so the way that I've worked my business, when I first started, I actually went out, to, as you can imagine, it was in the alcohol space and I was doing analytics for craft beer. I reached okay. out to hundreds of craft beer breweries at the beginning and really leveraged my mentors who were, I had advisors who worked at ABM Bev, and they really helped me. But to be honest, no one really wanted the product in the craft beer space that I was providing. And I really okay. thought that they would be interested in data and analytics. So when I pivoted to the new business, which I expanded using my healthcare background, my consumer packaged goods expertise, I really tapped into the places I worked at, the people that I worked with, 
who knew me and trusted me. And then I also said, you know, what other areas in New York City where there are entrepreneurs that we could help each other? Um, where else could I go? And that's been a really beneficial uh, avenue, which is learning who you can reach out to and build a relationship with, and then have it as a win-win between the two parties. And then, you know, it's serendipity. I mean, it's funny to say this, but one of my partners, Eric, who I met during this pandemic, he was mm -hmm. a tag on a face. He's a data aggregator um, for a company that I work with closely now and we're working on product. It was actually um, another friend of mine, David Markovich, that tagged me on a Facebook post with this guy, Weston, who I'd never met. Then all of a sudden I'm in contact with Eric and the next thing you know, I'm partnering with Eric. So okay. it's really the serendipitous part of you know reaching out to folks and letting them know what you need and constantly reminding people like what you're working on, what's the benefit you provide, and then getting them to do some of the work for you. And the next thing you know, things sort of move in the right direction. And as long as you're super focused every day, you're working on sales because it's, it's heartbreaking to do it every day, especially for myself. I'm a marketer and right. it was like, oh my goodness, I've got it. I have to do this every single day. But if you spend time in every day, you'll see, um, you'll see, you'll reap the rewards. So sure. I, I'd and say you have to keep in mind that it's a hustle. Absolutely. And would you say that there's any online, online aspect to your outreach, any specific marketing channels that you found to be highly effective in spreading what you're working on and what you're doing? with a larger group of people? We did a lot. I did a lot on LinkedIn and that was what I used for, even as I pivoted the business model. So I spent a lot of time in LinkedIn. Um, okay. Again, I have credibility with my profile based on my experience. So people were interested to talk to me. I know it can be really difficult if you don't have that background and the right. years of experience or even you know Harvard Business School on your LinkedIn profile. So I understand that. Um, the second thing would be using Facebook and Instagram um, as well. You know, our building our network through those areas. When we started in the craft alcohol space, it was interesting because we had a lot of breweries following us and then we would follow them. Now that we're in the data science space specifically for CPG, Instagram isn't as beneficial. But the fact that I have a large group on Facebook and so does um, so do my friends, we're constantly tagging each other on things that are of use. And that's okay. a really helpful channel. Um, so those would be my, my two biggest. And then I have the other last one is Slack. So there's been a lot of momentum behind Slack communities and meetups. And sure. so those would be the other areas I'd say, as long as you're getting involved in the meetups in your community and in your space and industry, and then I'm involved in a lot of Slack communities where you get tagged in stuff or you can, you know, investigate other people that are interested in the same area or looking for clients. Um, the third one is just networking traditionally. I mean, you don't, you can't do it as much anymore, but a lot of people are doing online community networking through Zoom. And right. that has been a really great tool over the last, and it's kind of changed as well, because I think we all had Zoom fatigue for a while. Sure, and yeah want to be on zoom anymore but people are starting to use zoom as more of a community building and social networking vehicle 
than just presenting and pitching. So I take it on that as well. Okay, and on these marketing channels, were you actually spending advertising dollars or is it just natural posting? No advertising spent. Actually, um, the money that I did spend was on Facebook ads. Sorry, I should mention that. Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and we did some in Google. But the, um, the marketing channels that I explained earlier, like LinkedIn and Slack and um, going through and using Zoom, they were all unpaid. And it was just required data mining so that you're getting to the right clients. You have to be really smart about who you want to uh, talk to. And then you have to spend time. Another area where what we do is we actually add a lot of data scientists. So I have an idea of what's going on in the industry and the community because people are posting their information I get a good feel for globally what's happening as well as locally in the U.S. Okay. So that would be another smart thing that I'd recommend people do is add, add individuals who are in the same industry as you and start following them and seeing what people are posting and talking about. Okay, got it. Um, I had a quick question regarding um, Facebook and Instagram. Were you, were you able to quantify the results of your ad spend you or are. were you actually doing that? Yes. Yeah. Because, um, obviously being a data analytics company, Instagram, Facebook are, and Google, because you can do a lot with Google analytics are the three platforms that I'd say you're able to get right down to where the person's coming in from, what's the conversion. Um, mm -hmm. if you have things on the, ad that pushes them to your website to a purchase. So those are my recommend go-tos and you get a lot of information. The one thing I tell everyone is, you know, use Google Analytics, set it up, make sure that you have things working hard for you in terms of search engine optimization on your website and the content on your website and get your ranking up so that you're, you stand for something. And then I would, I always suggest to you, um, anyone I work with, if they aren't savvy in data and analytics, Google mm -hmm. Trends is another way where you can look at things, make sure you're positioned from a content standpoint because you can start comparing search terms and seeing what people are looking up, right? Because why spend money on a search term that people aren't gonna be using a lot when you can select the top performing? Now, again, you have to be careful about your spend because I'll tell you what happened to me. It quickly crept up with Google <laughs> And the next thing you know, I had hundreds of dollars on my credit card and I had to um, have a long discussion with them on, you know, how much money I was spending because they didn't give me an update until the end of the month. Whereas Facebook, Instagram, you set the budget and you have kind of an ongoing dialogue with them because they're constantly updating you on the metrics. So my one watch out is Google ads, make sure that you're not just leaving an unlimited budget. And then the next thing you know, you have 500 to a thousand dollars billed um, at the end of the month when you're just starting up. Right. And um, with Google ad spend, do you remember what were the, what keywords were perfect for your company or the ones that you targeted? Yeah, when it was the first round of our company. So we were going after sort of analytics and data in the craft alcohol CPG space. So okay. there wasn't a lot of competition there and so it was easy to sort of pair the craft beer industry as you can imagine where and target craft beer craft breweries um brewmasters 
and then you know looking at the key search terms around data and analytics um okay. key learning for me was that even though they are interested in the data and analytics you have to imagine that a craft brewery really is just looking at how much beer can i sell versus what are the analytics behind that sell and okay. so that was my key learning um through all of that perfect um, okay, Sharon, are you ready to wrap up with the famous five? Sure. I like this famous five concept. <laughs> okay. Number one, uh, what's your favorite business book? Yeah, this was a hard one because I read a lot of books. So um, <laughs> at the time that I answered this, this was a really good book. I, re I was reading the McKinsey Mind okay. and it's a really great book on strategy and how to look at your business. I think it's really good for anyone in you know, who's starting up a company and wants to understand now it's very consulting based and we obviously do consulting and research and analytics. So sure. very helpful. The other one I read, I'm reading and it's a very tough one is called the artificial intelligence, a modern approach. Um, uh -huh. and by Russell and Orvig, and it really goes into AI and it's a good foundation. You don't have to code. Um, it will get it quite deep into, um, sort of the whole principles of coding but you don't have to be in there with in Python or anything. And so these are my two kind of go-to books right now. Okay. And just out of curiosity, do you personally code? I do not actually personally okay. code. I thought about getting into it, spent some time in it and it was, it's like, um, I'll use the analogy. I um, use a PC and I have, because this is where my dad started off in configuring computers in the early 80s and he's always given me a pc while well, when i was an entrepreneur i thought hey i'm gonna you know three years ago i thought i'm gonna get a macbook and uh -huh. started on the macbook and it would take me five times longer than the pc and a friend of mine said just don't even bother you've spent so many so much time in a pc you should just go back to the pc it was the smartest decision that they um they helped me with but I'd okay. say that my level of being able to learn how to do this at this stage, my best uh, work is better at the strategy level on the insights from the data than actually okay. coding. And so our data science team is focused on that. They bring us all the work that they do, and then we work on asking the right questions. But I never think it's, you're never too old to learn a new, um, a new occupation or anything. It's just not what I want to spend my time right now on. Okay, got it. And that, by the way, that was not part of the famous five. So we'll get back to that. <laughs> so number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Yeah, so this was a great question because I know we traditionally follow male CEOs because there are a lot of them. So Elon <laughs> Musk or other CEOs. Um, okay. I specifically selected someone else for you, which is Emma Wamsley. Uh, she's the chief executive officer of GlaxoSmithKline globally pharma right. uh -huh. um, and she was the ceo of consumer healthcare when i worked there i worked for gsk for 10 years one of the best companies i worked for and she was extremely personable i bumped into her a couple times you know one-on-one -on -one, um right. and yet she has this presence um this demeanor of being extremely professional strategic and coming across like She's got, she has kids and a husband and she's doing a lot of things behind the scenes, but when she shows up, she shows up. So, sure. um, and then her financial acumen and just what she's done to get through her career path. Um, I really think she's an amazing person to watch and to continue to watch, um, especially with the, within the healthcare space. All right. 
Um, number three, what would you say is your favorite online tool for growing your business? Yeah, I have to say LinkedIn. I mean, let me tell you, I'm in LinkedIn a few times a day. I have built a really great uh, network in LinkedIn. Please add me to LinkedIn if you're not, if we're sure. not already connected to um, all the guests. And it is by far the strongest, most powerful tool for me for, um, for clients, for sure. And for just reaching out and to connecting with people I haven't talked to in a long time and I need to connect with them, I can normally right. find them on LinkedIn pretty easily. Okay, and are you doing any sort of automation on LinkedIn or just standard usage? Uh, standard, well, Sales Navigator is the tool that they have. And right. I highly recommend that if you're um, kind of really focused on looking at clients and mining the data. So I'd say it's worth the subscription. I think a lot of companies are using it um, in order to be able to find clients. Uh, and then you can do a lot of other things. Like I mentioned, I really look for folks in my data science industry. I sure. purposely add them so I can follow them so I can see what they're talking about. And I, I have a lot of great contacts and content coming out from that. Okay. Got it. Okay. Um, number four, if you could give your 20 year old self a piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, this was a good one. I have to say that trust your gut. And trust yep. the process. I, I did not imagine that I would be an entrepreneur when I was planning my career. And right. the whole process of moving, of you know, the, the education that I've done, I'm not a typical entrepreneur because I've done so much training and development through corporate. But I think right. what you mentioned is that the more successful entrepreneurs these days are the ones that are kind of um, older, have more experience, know how to build the culture and all these other things that are pertaining to things you would have learned in a corporate setting, but then you have to be willing to move and do risky decisions and, and bring on that risk-taking behavior. So sure. I really had to learn to trust my gut and follow it. Um, and obviously being someone who's very grounded in data, that is a hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, and the final question is, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Yeah, I, um, I definitely don't get uh, the traditional, whatever they say you need, seven or eight. I'm right. usually six hours or less. So I've oh. just always needed less sleep. Um, I get to do a workout. I get up really early, so somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30. Um, I've never set an alarm anymore. I haven't set an alarm probably for the last four years of my life ever because okay. I will just always get up and um, and I spend the extra time either reading working out I'm very active and I find that that helps sharpen my brain when I need it to and it helps with um, just long sprints during the day when you need to do work but that you need to be able to take those breaks so the six hours seems to work for me what do you get uh, seven okay great yes you're on the <laughs> additional seven hours of sleep yeah I've, I've tried for that and I've tried even training myself for it when I was younger. I just don't need it. Well, lucky you. <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything less than seven for me, forget about it. <laughs> Good to know, yeah. I, I, it's so funny that I can even operate on less, like five, between five to six, but anything less than that, and I would feel the same way you would feel up with less <laughs> than seven. <laughs> okay. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to maybe have a follow-up call with you a year from now to see where your company has grown.
Thank you so much for having me as well. I love talking about our business at Croasis and our team, who I believe is phenomenal. And I love sharing um, as well with just other founders, anything that I have learned. So again, I say, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn and connect as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on any of the available podcast platforms so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you have an extra minute, leaving a review would help us grow.